Today is Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The FBI just set the political world on fire after raiding former President Donald Trump's residence. We'll have that story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Let's get through the news of the cray together. And joining me, as always, to help us get through it, Trey Gons Phillips from CBN's Faith Wire. What's going on, Trey? Happy Tuesday to you. It's a good Tuesday, but maybe not a good Tuesday at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, <laughs> a slow news know. day. It's a slow news yeah. day on a Tuesday. Yeah. Nothing going on. Nothing going on. But yeah, we <laughs> unbelievable news, and we will uh, we will discuss it in depth a little bit more after the headlines here in a moment. And also coming up on the main thing, atheists, they've been going after police chaplaincies. The latest one was in Ohio, and Billy Hallowell talks to First Liberty, who issued a direct challenge to the Freedom From Religion Foundation and uh, talking about why they're wrong on that. So we'll have the details there. But our first thing today, the news in 90 seconds, and a couple of big things happened. Olivia Newton-John passed away at the age of 73. Uh, that was the big news up until the raid later in the day. But uh, also, Gabby Petito's parents are filing a $50 million wrongful death lawsuit against the Moab Police Department. But the big story of the day, without a doubt, of course, is the FBI raid that happened yesterday at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. And according to the Associated Press, it's all part of an investigation into whether he took classified records from the White House to his Florida residence. Now, many people are pointing out that he's the president. He can declassify anything he wants at any time he wants for any reason he wants. So that seems like a bizarre reason there. Trump issued a statement on his part, said, quote, it's prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system and an attack by radical left Democrats who desperately don't want me to run for president in 2024, especially based on recent polls and who will likewise do anything to stop Republicans and conservatives in the upcoming midterm elections. There is a ton of reaction online. You can read about it on faithwire.com and cbnnews.com. That and more headlines happening today. What a big story. And Trey Gones Phillips here is joining me now to discuss it a little bit more in depth. Trey, I mean, this this news set the news world on fire yesterday. And where do we even start with all of this? Because you're hearing a lot of talk from both sides right now. It's a wild story. And I can't help but think that politically, you know, looking at the, the makeup of our country right now, uh, both sides know how to get at one another. Uh, and Trump is certainly a, a verbose person. He was verbose mm-hmm. in the White House. He was verbose before and he will be uh, for the rest of his life. So uh, there's no shortage of commentary coming from the former president who's understandably uh, not too happy at the moment. So uh, yesterday he said that his home in Florida is, quote, under siege uh, by a large group of FBI agents. Uh, He was actually in New York City when the raid took place and he was not tipped off that it was coming, uh, that it would be happening at all, uh, which is a a courtesy that I would think would go to a a former Mm. president. But uh, in this situation, for for whatever reason, details will unfold uh, as the day goes on. Uh, That was not at all revealed to him that it would be happening. Uh, So Trump, speaking as he often does, said that this treatment uh, is similar to how people are treated in third world countries. He said such an assault could only take place in a broken third world country. Sadly, America has now become one of those countries, corrupt at a level not seen before. 
He noted that FBI agents, in his view, indiscriminately broke into his safe, a safe that uh, a source close to him said was actually brand new and didn't even have anything in it, uh, but was nevertheless uh, destroyed by FBI agents reportedly uh, who had had gone into the house uh, during the raid or gone onto the property, not not really a house, a huge sprawling property uh, for the raid. So uh, describing what happened, a source that's familiar with Mar-a-Lago and with what unfolded, uh, they said that agents, quote, were not being judicious about what they took uh, and noted they took just troves of stuff, uh, claiming that they would go through it later and determine what was worth keeping and what was worth tossing or giving back to the former president. Uh, That same uh, source also, like I said moments ago, indicated that Trump was not aware of the raid, but said that FBI Director Ray and Attorney General Garland were aware of the raid as is customary, uh, even if they were only made aware very briefly and and only moments before uh, it actually unfolded. And I'll note this, Dan, before I open it back up to you, is uh, several conservatives have already weighed in on this uh, throughout the evening yesterday and likely, of course, will be weighing in on it even more today. Uh, But one of the first to weigh in was actually South Dakota Governor's Kristi Noem. Uh, She said the FBI raid on President Trump's home is an unprecedented political weaponization of the Justice Department, kind of echoing what Trump said. Uh, He said they've been after President Trump as a candidate, as a president, and now as a former president. Using the criminal justice system in this manner is un-American, she said. Mm, yeah, and Marco, Marco Rubio is uh, also chiming in uh, last night and uh, throughout the day as well. And he he said Biden is playing with fire by using a document dispute to get the Justice Department to persecute a likely future election opponent. Because, mm. And this is what he said, because one day what goes around is going to come around and then we become Nicaragua under Ortega. Um, in Rubio also noted that the FBI isn't doing anything about the groups vandalizing Catholic churches, firebombing pro-life groups, or threatening Supreme Court justices, but they find time to raid Mar-a-Lago. And um, another, a, a, a lot of people have pointed this one out, that um, this is comes on the right on the heels of uh, you know, Democrats passing a bill and looking to get 87,000 new IRS agents. And then this happens and it's kind of like, okay, I guess I can see what where this is going. It very much to a lot of people feels like a political attack. And we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, this is um, definitely, it, it cer- certainly seems like if you really wanted those documents that perhaps you could have avoided the whole scene, but it seems they clearly wanted the scene. You know, I, I cannot but think, and I'm certain we'll hear this comparison throughout the day today. Uh, but if you remember all the way back, you go down memory lane and we can remember 2016 and the presidential election then. Uh, and and Trump certainly, he speaks the way that he does. He's brash and maybe said things, uh, certainly said things in ways that, that maybe were not uh, uh, the best. But nevertheless, he would make comments about uh, some of uh, alleged wrongdoings on Hillary Clinton's part. Uh, and there were always commentaries from the mm-hmm. left and in the media saying, you shouldn't be making these kinds of attacks on a political opponent. Uh, it, it kind of smacks of, of creating a banana republic or, uh, you know, suggesting that we imprison the, the, the people we disagree with politically. And now this is happening when the shoe is on the other foot. Uh, So I can see those comparisons will likely be coming saying, how come it was wrong when once I did it uh, and now it's okay uh, to, to exercise this, this grandiose raid uh, when, when you're the one in power, shouldn't it be wrong when both sides do it? Yeah. And, and of yeah, exactly. I mean, and you reference Hillary Clinton there 
who um, had thousands of emails deleted and erased. And this was, um, you know, during her tenure as the Secretary of State. And yeah. this was almost a very similar situation, or claim at least, of mishandling um, sensitive information. In her case, you know, there are, you know, with the Secretary of State, you're talking about, you know, potentially secrets and, um, you know, uh, information about our, where our intelligence assets are and things of that nature and using her private messaging, uh, you know, her private server to do that instead of secure government servers. And so instead, but nothing has ever come of that. People have referenced Hunter Biden and his um, activities where he's been involved, you know, and accused of, of basically selling the office of the president uh, to China and others and, and being a, a very much a, a risk, a security risk, you know, with his laptop getting taken and, and things as he's doing drugs and, you know, um, engaging with, with prostitution and prostitutes. So, um, and so people see that and they see those two things and they think, wait a minute here, this is, these two things are, you know, the way they're being handled, it, it reeks of a little bit of hypocrisy here. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely the case. And look, I, I think, unfortunately, politically, we're going to be in for, for more of this um, as as the election cycle gears up toward the midterms and then ultimately toward 2024. I think we're in this really toxic culture right now politically uh, where we go after one another with such venom. And I think this is unfortunately kind of a, a consequence of that culture that we've created. So I think there's going to be a lot of legal stuff that comes from this that, that's going to unfold throughout the day and the week and the weeks to come. Uh, but also there's a serious political illness that I think this is a symptom of uh, that I think as believers, uh, you know, we need to be uh, paying attention and being prayerful and, and all of that. I know that it's easy to kind of get inculcated in our different political sides, mm -hmm. but as believers, our allegiance is elsewhere. So I think we just need to be in prayer for the leaders who are in power uh, and also in prayer for Trump and for how he handles this as, as a former administration, his family. Certainly this is upsetting and jarring and difficult to go through, regardless of what you think about him or, or the White House in you know the Biden White House now. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And um, and and again, this is another chance as Christians, um, like you said, wh whether you love or hate or indifferent to Trump, this is a chance for us. And we watch the media immediately dive in, immediately react, immediately jump to conclusions. And this is another chance for us to let's have that information come in before the hot takes come in. And yeah. because I, I think a lot of people are so frustrated by things um, and, and the hypocrisy that they see, the media bias that they see, and those may be very well and, and oftentimes are justifiable complaints. But that said, you can't let that knowledge just make you jump to a conclusion before you actually have the answer. Because I think the more we do that, the worse that division gets. I mean, I've seen people now calling and saying, hey, they're abusing power. We need to abuse power too. And I think that's an emotional response and one that um, wouldn't be wise, you know, for America to, to go down that road and, and to say, well, we just keep losing if we don't play on their terms. And those are the sorts of things that we would be wise to sort of see all the information and let it marinate and then, you know, formulate a response based on the information that we have. I, I just think that's generally wise vice, particularly for journalists, but also for 
um, for us as we digest this information because it'll drive you nuts otherwise because there is a bias. You know, the media is definitely slanted in one direction for the most part. And so it can be tiresome and very make you weary just watching it all and soaking it all in and angry and frustrated. And as Christians, we've we've got to be measured. And that doesn't mean you just, you know, cave on your beliefs or the things that you're fighting for. But we can be measured and we can respond appropriately. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100% on all of that. And the last thing that I'll add is I think whenever I see stuff like this and political fighting uh, that escalates and escalates and escalates, I just remember the the thing that I heard my mom teaching me all the time growing up. <laughs> Two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, uh, and and I think uh, I think that lesson is a simple phrase, uh, but it's a tough one to learn and apply. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, well, there's going to be updates on this, obviously ongoing. So stay tuned to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for the latest on that. That takes us into our main thing today, where atheists have been going after these police chaplaincies. A very interesting move, the latest one in Ohio. Well, Billy Hallowell talked to First Liberty about why these atheists are wrong. That's on today's main thing. The Freedom From Religion Foundation, an atheist activist group based in Madison, Wisconsin, recently sent a complaint letter to an Ohio police department claiming that police chaplaincies are unconstitutional. We sat down with Roger Byron, senior counsel at First Liberty, a law firm that recently won two Supreme Court cases defending religious liberty in America, to talk with him about what he believes the atheists have wrong. We also talked about a letter that Roger wrote in response to the Freedom From Religion Foundation telling the Ohio Police Department that not only are police chaplaincies constitutional, but they have a rich history in America. Here's what Roger had to say. Well, the, the standard procedure for that organization and, and several others like it is to send a complaint letter to any government entity that has anything to do with anything religious in, in their programs or, or, or in, in any of their activities and attempt to bully and scare them into ending those programs or activities. And it's not uncommon for the letter to suggest or to try to force the government entity, whether it's a municipality or a county or even a state, uh, to try to influence them or bully them into doing something that is illegal or that is unlawful when what they're currently doing is perfectly well, you know, it's it's interesting because the the argument and I guess before we even get into their argument, you know, what can you tell us? Because obviously I know what police chaplains do. I think a lot of people do, but some people might not be aware of the purpose of a police chaplain. Can you tell us a little bit about what the role of a chaplain on a police force is? Well, I think so. I mean, I'm sure it varies from police force to police force, but there are some things that are always the same. They're basically there to be the person that the police officers go to when the police officers need something. Everyone goes to the police when they're in trouble. Who do the police go to when they're in trouble? They go to the chaplains. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's interesting about this is you look at police forces and what cops go through and the trauma and the difficulty having somebody there or having more than one person there to serve any, it doesn't always have to be a spiritual need, but to serve spiritual needs or any sort of emotional need that people have, that seems to be a common sense thing to do. But the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they seem to be arguing essentially 
that chaplains are really only necessary when it's difficult or impossible for somebody working for the government to find a religious service. So if you're deployed overseas or you're in a position where you don't have access necessarily to a religious individual to assist you, why are they wrong on that, though? Why, why is this something that legally is permissible, even on a police force here in the States? The United States Supreme Court has found that government chaplaincies, specifically a legislative chaplaincy, they were in place in the United States prior to the First Amendment. You know, the men that enacted the First Amendment, the men that enacted the Establishment Clause, had a chaplain who was serving them at the time that they enacted the clause. Our military chaplaincies have been in place for well before that under the Continental Army and the Continental Congress and General George Washington. And in our uh, most recent win at the U.S. Supreme Court just a few weeks ago, the landmark win of uh, Joe Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, the Supreme Court found explicitly that for separation of church and state issues, courts must look to the understanding of the founding fathers and history and tradition to determine what's permissible and what isn't. And if there is anything that is permissible. If there's anything in the First Amendment that does not trigger any concerns about separation of church and state, it is government chaplaincies. Well, and it's interesting because to your point, when you go back into the history, the Senate chaplain, you know, in the U.S. has been, I think it's 1789. I mean, there was a chaplain almost immediately there, you know, so this is something that goes back deep in our in our history. The same with prayer before government meetings. These are things that have always happened. And yet they're often talked about as though they have not always happened in the history of this country um, when it comes to some of these activist groups. Now, they wrote the letter over to Mansfield Division of Police, basically saying this is unconstitutional. They had hired a new chaplain. That's what seems to have sparked this. There was an article about this particular chaplain who was a pastor um, and who was coming in to help. And the article was interesting because it, it seemed to question whether or not this pastor would be able to serve secular individuals based on his personal beliefs, his personal religious beliefs, um, which is a little bit of a stretch, I think, to say that somebody wouldn't be able to help or serve a non-Christian or a non-believer simply because they're a pastor and a Christian. But, but I want to speak to your response to this because they wrote the letter, you found out about it. You then wrote a letter also to this same police force. What are you hoping that letter that you wrote accomplishes? Well, we won another case at the Supreme Court this past term. We had the, the, the honor of winning not just one, but two major religious freedom cases within the last few weeks at the U.S. Supreme Court. And when I mentioned earlier about these letters often encouraging government entities or trying to bully government entities into violating the law in some way, it's in this area that this most recent complaint letter is doing just that. Uh, the letter is attempting to get the Mansfield Division of Police to exclude men of faith from the chaplaincy program. And in Carson v. Macon, or when this past term at the U.S. Supreme Court, the court was yet again very clear and explicit that excluding faith entities or people of faith from a government program definitely and unequivocally violates the Constitution. So if the Mansfield Division of Police was to exclude men of faith from their chaplain program, like this complaint letter tries to bully them into doing, they would be violating the First Amendment. And they would very likely find themselves on the losing end of a civil rights lawsuit 
that's backed by much, much precedent from the U.S. Supreme Court. That was Roger Byron with First Liberty. You can head over to firstliberty.org to find out more about some of the cases his law firm is working on. All right, Billy, thank you so much for that. Well, that leaves us with time for one last thing. And uh, this is a familiar passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, Trey. Yeah, so, you know, this is a passage I think that's particularly applicable to all of us whenever we're going through a a difficult time. But Mark 6 and uh, 50 through 51. uh, Okay, so to set the scene, the disciples were out on the lake by themselves. A storm had come upon them. uh, And this is what Jesus said. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. I think the application for us, Dan, is when we're going through difficult trials or, you know, different different circumstances, life can be hard. It's never going to be easy necessarily. Uh, but if we go through it with Jesus, I think we can be courageous and walk yeah. through whatever we're going through courageously. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and also, too, when there's the scene of Peter, you know, thinking of Jesus out on the water, when he's walking on the water and Peter goes out to him, he's he's looking at Jesus. And then the moment he goes away from him, uh, that's yeah. when he starts to sink. So similar principle there of just you got to keep your eyes on Jesus and you can get through all of these storms. So, all right. That is all the time we have for this episode of the podcast. As always, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.